When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking to build wealth beyond the stock market? Gain access to alternative investment opportunities once reserved for the ultra-wealthy with Yield Street. Build a diversified portfolio with investments such as real estate, art, commercial finance, and other alternatives typically with low stock market correlation and targeting annual yields of up to 15%. Yield Street investment minimums start at $1,000. Head to YieldStreet.com to join over 275,000 members and create your account today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or closing, he's in. A backhander and a save by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Six seventy, the scores, hockey guy Jay Zawaski. Two four, Hawks win, Hawks win again. Chris Chelios in overtime. Part of Blue Wire Podcasts. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the tape. A game-winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Falling back, Sobel drives, gets it from The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, Dr. Squatch, and by the Sins in Law Group. Let's drop the puck. Welcome into the special edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is Jay Zawoski. Thank you so much for joining me here. We are going to interview author, sometimes writer, freelance writer, and all around great dude and huge hockey fan. Evan F. Moore about his book, Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It. It comes out on October 12th through Triumph Books. You can pre-order now on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Just like when my book came out, I encourage everybody, and I'm sure Evan does too, to support your local independent booksellers. Let them know you want Evan's book, and you know they'll bend over backwards to get that for you right on time for when it comes out. A little bit of a heads up here. There is some salty language in the interview ahead. So if you've got kids in the car, just want to give you that heads up before we begin. But without further ado, let's bring you our interview with the Sun-Times, Evan Moore. Joining us now on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is our friend and the author of Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It, Evan F. Moore of the Chicago Sun-Times. Evan, 
Thanks for joining us here on the Madhouse Podcast. We could not be more excited for you and excited to have you as a guest on the podcast. Oh, sure. Thanks uh, for having me. I listen to the podcast as well, and uh, seems like a lot of folks uh, love it. Yeah. Note he didn't say he loved it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm writing that down on my list of grievances. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> how <laughs> I listen to it. <laughs> I listen to listen it. To something you don't like. That's fair. I listen to it and other people like it. That's that's what I got from Evan. <laughs> and that is accurate. We're adding that to our promo copy on our website or something. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So Evan's book, we just mentioned it, Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It comes out via Triumph Books on October 12th, 2021. I know that seems like a far way away, but guess what? It's available for pre-order right now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Evan, first question, what was your inspiration in writing Game Misconduct? Well, it's something I've been messing with for a long time, whereas, you know, I write a freelance story and it'll go nowhere or there's a little thing that was kind of the jab down over time. And Josh Vina was kind of doing the same thing. And I remember a tweet from her saying like, hey, someone said, pay me to write a book about hockey culture. And I idea we had already had known each other already because I had been on her, on her podcast and met her through like on Twitter, like, so like everyone else, everyone else kind of meets these days. And uh, so I DM'd her, it was like, hey, I'm literally kicking around the same idea. Perhaps we said, you know, uh, team up. Uh, it could be like, you know, like the like the Avengers or, or something like that. So it was like, you know, that's cool. And everyone went from there and obviously and not feel like, some of people I know who've written books in the past. So I just kind of looked at it that way in terms of, you know, like which publisher do we go to and, and everything else. So yeah, that's kind of how we started. And Evan, I've known you obviously for a really long time and I've known that you, you play a lot of hockey, you play for the Diddleys. I love, loved your jerseys you've worn when you've played uh, hockey in the past. I do like to ask our, ask our guests what, how they got into hockey. I know my journey was watching it on a 13 inch TV on ESPN, played a lot of roller and street hockey. How did you yourself get into the sport of hockey? Like what kind of introduced you to it and kind of kept you going in the sport? Well, I get that. I get that question a lot for, you know, obvious reasons on literal face value. And um, I would say I was a kid and I was watching the Calgary 88 Olympics and I believe one of the games was the was the was the Russians and the, and the Swedish team, and the sport just looked because obviously with Olympics, they're the, the the ice is bigger than it is in standard NHL, and and it looked like really like fun and, and dangerous. Mm-hmm. It really this the sport the the sport like I pretty much was like this is the best thing I've ever seen you know like wow what is this, and I've been had been a fan of the sport you know since then but. Obviously, when I grew up in the city, there weren't really any, you know, ranks, but I still, you know, stayed a fan, like, you know, like, you know, most folks. And I feel like I saw a lot of Blackhawks games growing up, and all of a sudden, it, it stopped for some reason. You know, so I don't know if anyone else uh, feels that way, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember, you know, um, you know, Secord and Dirk Graham and Eddie Belfort, Chelios, Ronick, all the, all the folks that are in uh, Jay's uh, book. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, because like most people, you know, I became, I was still a fan of the sport, but when the Blackhawks, obviously, you had this thing where, like, still when someone gets really good and they win some games, they got to be shipped off somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you just kind of see that going. And I was like, man, they don't care, man. Why should I? You know, yep. <laughs> you know I looked at it for a long time. But I guess I came back around, um, you know, when they drafted uh, Kane. And I was like, not not really that. It was like, I came back around and I would say, because you guys might remember that one. They, they made the playoffs, like, it was really brief. And it was, it was that uh, year that um, – that Jordan first plays for the Wizards, and I think another team in the town was in the playoffs. But it was like a really shitty Saturday because, like, I feel like they lost. Jordan came back to town wearing a, a jer- uh, Wizards jersey. I'm sorry if I cursed. I mean, you guys can get that out of there. I guess you can say shit. Can... It's fine. Okay. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Fuck yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that kind of was. I started with that, and then you know I picked it back up when Kane and Taves came around and I remember watching the drafts highlights and like look Kane that dude's like really young it's like he's got to be like somebody who's like you know a little brother or something yeah. I was like this guy's really fucking young and I saw him play like man he's really good like holy shit like he was really good so yeah so that's James that's my uh bit of a condensed uh, hockey uh origin story well, I mean, that's why I got into the Buffalo Sabres and the Colorado Avalanche in the late 90s. So I feel you on that. And now, of course, Evan's making us feel old because he's reminding us that Patrick Kane was like a baby and now he's going to be 33 years old this year. So, yeah, one of my <laughs> first the first thing I ever yeah. covered at the score for hockey was the Kane draft. I remember just seeing him with like the hair sticking out of his hat. He's all pimply faced. And now he's an old, you know, just I don't want to say old man, but he his age is, is showing. You know, you've seen the miles on his body. But anyway, Evan, I want to talk to you uh, sort of back to the book here. This is, of all sports, addressing the culture in hockey is something that uh, seems way behind the other games. And I'm, you know, part of it is that it is mostly a sport played by white men. Um, You know, so there's not a lot of confrontation for that culture, right? It's just kind of always been that way. It's how it seems like it will always be. So when you went about this project, I'm sure it was challenging for you to find people in hockey willing to address it. Who are some of the people you reached out to? And and maybe who are some of the people that surprised you um, with their insight on this topic? Well, I guess our me and Josh Vina's reputation kind of uh, perceived itself and People knew us from writing about these uh, of these issues for various outlets I've written about in the past and she's written about. And we kind of like in terms of like when we were like, hey, we're going to do this. I remember one of our first meetings with the publisher Triumph. I remember we were on a conference call and one of them said, yeah, how you guys are awesome. You know, they're solid earth they're, and everything else. I'm like, OK, well, that's it right there. Like, it is why the book needs to be why we have to uh, we need to write something, because why do we see you know, someone like, you know, I guess Taze is from a farm in Saskatchewan or something like that. And Kane is from Buffalo. And why do we say, see guys like that is uh, the boy next door who, who made good. And we see folks like Derek Rose and, and, and LeBron, who if you really think about it is an American success story with his background of a sing- from a single mother and moving from housing project to housing project. And then, you know, making what he's doing now in terms of, being one of the best basketball players ever, and he he takes his friends and his family along with. So that's mm-hmm. that sounds pretty, you know, like uh, inspiring to me. But why do why do some folks in in hockey uh, circles, you know, see him as someone who's arrogant, selfish, and and all these other things that we see? Because 
I guess for someone like me who covers the sport, who covers, not covers it, but like who's a fan of both sports. And you see this thing with hockey fans where it's like, cause hockey a really great sport. There's no need to prop itself up. Like Stanley cup finals, final, all the mystery behind the cup and everything else. Like it's, that's unmatched to me in any professional sport. And why do these folks feel the need to, to pick out a sport who they say they don't watch, but always have something to say about, you know? And um, I just, I guess for me, when I first saw it, actually was was on 670 in like one of the iterations of the of Dan Bernstein show. Like I remember him, you know, mentioning that. And he, even he saw like something was going on. It was kind of weird. And then I started seeing stuff online. I remember the first meme I saw that we actually discussed in the book. It was a meme about, because uh, we know that, you know, the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals, you know, they, they basically happened at the same time. And it was a meme from 2013. And Bexley was talking about how, how many times LeBron said I when he was interviewed after oh, they yeah. had won, the yeah. Heat had won. And then they did a comparison with Taves, Taves and it was like, okay, I see what y'all doing here. And they ain't right. And, they had, yeah. <laughs> and, and you, we kind of dissect that meme in the book where it's like, well, he was after question, he can only answer. And before he even said anything about himself, he thanked the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, like this, <laughs> You know, and it was like, okay, well, there's no need to for hockey and hockey fans, hockey culture to prop itself up when the sport is really good all by himself. But, but yeah, you know, it's uh, those type of things that we kind of discuss in the book. And getting back to your original question, I hope I stray too far away. But um, we both like took certain sections of the book that we were kind of more so versed on. I even wrote about something I really you know, it was a blind spot for me. And in terms of John Davina's case, he's, so he actually covers, you know, uh, college hockey and youth hockey. And that kind of was like her thing. And I kind of, you know, if I had things to add along the way, I would. But but for me, it was more so like, on my end, I was talking about race and hockey culture and, and scouting and how players are perceived. And like, you know, how there's some racial components, there's some generational components, there's some cultural components. But in terms of, people we spoke to, uh, Josh Venus, he spoke to uh, Ryan Miller. And, you know, you, you know how great he is, how he recently retired. And mm-hmm. it really was, that's what was reading our, was he, our copy and everything else. It was like, yeah, shocking to me that we got a white player on the record to talk about race in hockey, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, like it's, and from people we spoke to, we spoke to pretty much every stakeholder you can think of that's in the sport, whether it's uh, fans, parents, players, youth level, high school, professional, talk to scouts, we talk to people who cover scouting, we talk to fans, like any anyone you can think of that's involved in the sport in one way, shape or form has something to say. It wasn't like, you know, people were like scared because people are reputation, you know, kind of sees us and when we did speak to people I did like have a speech ready like hey this is our book this is what we're doing this is what we want to discuss and I think when people find out about the book and know of our work and everything else uh, taking a turn that we're using these days people long-term hockey fan think we're trying to cancel hockey and that's not the case we're we both love hockey. We want it to be better. And some people are like, how come you're not talking about all the stuff that goes on in other sports? Well, yeah, we do somewhat, but this mm-hmm. is a hockey centric book. So I'm going to talk more about 
some of the stuff that, that's gone on over the years. So it's, I think it's what we said, you know, it's a, we think it's a book for someone who's a, a modern hockey fan and yeah. someone that, I mean, this happened the other day with what, what WBZ reported. I mean, you know, like it's like <laughs> as a fan of the team or a deserver, like that's something you have to sit down and think about it. It doesn't make you a bad fan if you, mm-hmm. you know, like think about these things like, well, wait a minute, like, you know, what? Why did why it have to be this way? And like, you know, like, why, 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 why would someone say, you know, like say all the stuff they said and like, you can just see from what was written, that player was basically gaslit and, you know, it's like, what's going on here? So, but yeah, we definitely do talk about a lot of that stuff. And like, we turned in our, our manuscript back in January and so much has happened to hockey since then. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Just for the benefit of our listeners, Evan, speaking about a a WBZ exclusive report that a member of the 2010 Blackhawks organization has accused the team of not responding properly when he said he had been sexually assaulted by a video coach. I would encourage everybody to read WBZ's uh, journalist, just masterpiece of journalism, I thought. Really well written, really asked a lot of really important questions about the culture of the Blackhawks. Would highly encourage anybody to read that story. And Evan, I did want to, I wanted to kind of touch on something you had mentioned in your last answer. And it was kind of the memes about LeBron James and Jonathan Taves and just the way that hockey fans are always like, oh, love my sport. You know, we get hit and we get back up and we don't get wheelchaired off like Paul Pierce and blah, blah, blah. And it just, it speaks to an element of pretty significant gatekeeping that ends up happening in hockey fandom. And I think Jay and I usually approach it from the perspective of hardcore hockey fans kind of keeping out everybody else. But I also feel like, as you've mentioned in your book, I'm sure there is also a big time element of it when it comes to attracting basically non-white hockey fans to get into the sport. Do you guys get into that kind of gatekeeping at all and just kind of ways to potentially address that? Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, we definitely talk about that and we do talk about it in a, in an expansive way. I mean, cause there have been books out there about race and hockey, but there's really nothing like this out there. And yeah, we do talk about those things, how, how, how it's viewed. And I always tell this story sometimes when I remember I was walking into Johnny's ice house West you know, this is, you know, in a, you know, um, let's be honest here, it's in a, it's a rough area, you know, I'm in right off of, you know, Madison and west of uh, Western. I remember like walking in on my gear and it was a group of like, you know, five or six black men, you know, walk, walking towards me as I'm walking towards the door and they're completely shocked to, to see me and they look at me and they're like, you know, they, they let brothers in there? I'm like, uh, yeah, they do. Of course, they can go check us out. We're about to play in a few minutes. And, you know, and they kept walking. And it wasn't a thing where I was just like, okay, here, here we go again. Because for a lot of people, I am a conduit to hockey. If they want to talk about hockey and they they come to me about it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. friends and people know me for a long time. So, yeah, we do talk about the gatekeeping aspect and what keeps, you know, what keeps people out and what keeps people, you know, away. And, you know, in Chicago, um, people like in any story, like people like winners and particularly locally, you know, when, you know, uh, you might remember it was during the, uh, the 13 Stanley Cup run, I believe, or the 15, probably more so 15, but 
you know, when they when they was on uh, WGN and like I think it was Marcus Lashaki was walking out the street, some guy was walking out the street, he was like black hockey <laughs> so good, like black people liking hockey, and you're just kinda like, Yeah, yeah, okay, but you know, but yeah, you know, there is a stigma where it's like you feel like that you go to the game or you see all this stuff and you do feel like you stare at it. I mean, it's it's been times where when I first started going to games and going to the rink, I can literally feel people staring at me. <laughs> you know, you're just like, we live in Chicago. So it's like not like, <laughs> it's not like, you know, like out of the ordinary to see, you know, a black person, you know, and I get it at times where you say, you see somebody, I remember one time I was on the ice and like, it was, I think it was like a stop and then play. And like, I just had to be looking up in the crowd and I can see somebody like looking at me and tapping their friend and pointing at me. I'm just like, this isn't a fucking zoo. Like, <laughs> relax, you know? And so. You sure it's not because you're a celebrity, dude? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm like, I always tell people I'm, I'm, I'm uh, locally famous, like zip code famous. Like, it's, <laughs> as a zip code or where I'm at. Like, I think that there's a level of celebrity there. But yeah, you know, it's like we do definitely, we do discuss gatekeeping aspect and we do talk to fans. I mean, we talk to, uh, we have, uh, what's the name in the book? Uh, Tony X. We talked to him. Oh, nice. Him. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 We talked to him and, you know, I was kind of wondering, cause it has been a few years already since, you know, we all like saw him on Twitter and this was laughing our ass off. And like, it was like, it was so great about it because it was so pure. Like he had no idea, no hangouts about anything. He just saw the game for what it was as I saw it as a kid. And I mm-hmm. thought it was the most amazing thing ever. And sometimes I'm just like, Oh, I'll sit there watching that. Like, you know, you want to be a wet blanket. Like I just hope somebody that some people and come up and fuck it up for me. Just he's like, like, see, that's why I believe what I already had believed and go on and do something else. But prop to him to still sticking with it, you know, like, uh, so, but you got to pay off rather quickly, you know, with the blues went in. So yeah. <laughs> very little yeah. suffering for Tony X. That's good. Good for him. He came out <laughs> at the right time. Our interview with Evan Moore continues in a moment on the Madhouse Chicago hockey podcast. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Our guest on the Madhouse podcast is Sun-Times writer and author Evan F. Moore. His book, Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It, is out October 12th on Triumph Books, but pre-orders are available now. Let's get right back to the interview. So aside from the obvious uh, racial cultural issues and uh, you know the toxic environment there, what are some of the other things... Because we've seen, you know, more so than other sports, the the sexual assault things happening in hockey. Uh, we've had very recent episodes of homophobia on and off the ice. What are some of the other uh, topics aside from race that you get into in the book? Uh, we get into um, ableism. I mean, I, I mean, uh, this being honest, like um, it's something that's a uh, blind spot for me. I mean, because obviously, when you think of like ableism from the jump, like you think of someone in a wheelchair is like a make a wish moment and like taser probably comes out and like, Hey kid and smiles like this and then goes back to what they're doing or whatever. But yeah, we do talk about how, um, how way back when, how the, uh, 
the Red Wing, the, the company that owns uh, Joe Louis Arena, where the Red Wings for me playing and how a fan sued them because, because of that, where they had to add like extra ramps and seats because of that. We also discussed that ableism isn't just like, like I said, like someone in a wheelchair. Like for instance, I talked uh, for the story, for the I'm sorry, for the book, I talked to a uh, deaf hockey player and our interview was basically all through text, you know, and, um, and then I talked to another person. Um, he plays, he's a, a army veteran. He plays for the Blackhawks Warriors. I don't know if you all are familiar with that, but you know, they're, you know, that's, that's a team comprised of uh, veterans. And um, he talked about his ableism, how he got hurt. You got you heard his back while he was uh, in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and he discussed because um, uh, we meet him and everything. Cause we met a couple of times, and like there's you don't see any outwards like you know disability or anything like that. He can walk, he can do everything else, and but you know like when he's he has a tough time explaining the family, you know like hey like you know I'm, I'm disabled, but even though you can't like physically see it, but I am, you know. And so we talk about that. We talk about. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, homophobia. We talked to uh, members of the Chicago Gay Hockey Association, and they had a lot of stuff to say, good things to say, and a lot of pretty awful things that's happened to them over time. And we talked to the, the New York iteration of that organization, um, a couple of folks who've worked with uh, You Can Play, and we talked to uh, Brock McGillis um, and a few other folks. Uh, in terms of like other things that we discussed, we discussed on, on the Josh Venus, and she discussed like the structure of of uh, hockey organizations like, you know, like Hockey Canada, USA Hockey. And and we also talked to another um, young lady who's a player uh, the, who played on uh, Singapore's Olympic team who who plays for um, for Ali Lawrence's team, the uh, North Stars. Mm-hmm. And she also coaches here in the city and about some of the stuff she uh, deals with as someone who's, who's a coach. And <clears throat> and we do get into youth hockey and how crazy and, and nutty that, that that is at times. And even with my own daughter, I'm I'm starting to see it like this. I'm just I remember like I was, we were at some event, and like some kid was on the ice, and the get and the girl wanted to go to the restroom, and dad took her off. He was like pissed, like that he had that she had to go in the middle of this hockey thing. I'm like, she's not gonna make the lead today. Yeah, really. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, so it's definitely a lot of topics in terms of you know uh, race and how teams are constructed and, and like, uh, and scouting and turn to the scouting aspect. Um, you start, we notice some differences, like not differences, but similar things. It's like, we see how this discussion always in the NFL with black quarterbacks and people saying like, Oh, you should go play another position or, or how we for years talk about, you know, Peyton Manning and Rogers, but when we talk about Michael Vick and, and, uh, and Cam Newton and, and hockey, there's a similar conversation with the center position. Yep. You know, and you know, really see a whole lot of black players playing, uh, sent, playing the sentiment position. And we had, you know, obviously Quentin Byfield drafted last year. And and that position is like, you just think about it. Like, you know, they, they, a lot of the same similar things are said about why a black quarterback gets moved to receiver or defensive back or, or, or whatever. So that's kind of, that's part of it too. And uh yeah, this uh, we also talk about um, in, in Chicago. You probably know this from the score too, Jay, and and everything else is like you have like these people, you folks who who demand more coverage of the Blackhawks, mm-hmm. but also, you know, they're like, why are we talking about the Bulls and not thinking of we're in 
Chicago, a little basketball mecca. So mm-hmm. coverage di- dictates that it, it rates better, you know, and some folks don't understand that. And we were kind of like, okay, well, I wonder if this is happening in other cities or like, you know, Red Wings fans mad at Pistons fans when they were really good or, or Flyers fans like angry when Allen Iverson was, uh, was doing his thing or, or, you know, so we, it turns out like, you know, yeah, some of this happens on our cities, but we even um, talked about even some folks in Toronto who, who feel like that, hey, like they even feel like, you know, there's a gatekeeper aspect and we tie that into why you see so many NBA players coming out of Canada in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And some of that is their families and them saying like, yeah, we don't want to deal with all that foolishness that goes on with the sport. Cause we talked to one person who he played youth hockey up there and he, he got racism from fans, teammates, parents, and the kid. And after a while, the parent was like, no, screw this. He pulled him out. And years later, when it came for his kids to, to have an interest in playing, he was like, no, like he didn't want them to go through that. And that's look at it. That's fucking sad. Like, you know, yeah. like that. Is he had went through all that, and then you know he's years later. The kids get to that age where he's at, or they might be interested, and he's thinking of what happened to him when he was a kid, and he doesn't want the, any parent, you know, wouldn't want their put if they can put their if they don't want to put their kid through that, you know, I frankly don't blame them. Man, there's so many just intrinsic issues and you hit on so many of them during this conversation and any one of them could end up just being a really compelling conversation and podcast on their own. I think instead of trying to delve into like 14 different areas, maybe go straight ahead. Um, what kind of, did you guys reach any conclusions just kind of on the best way to kind of move forward and kind of address some of these uh, concerns, whether it be homophobia, racism in the game, anything like that, were there kind of solutions offered by some of the people you talked to? Did you or Joshvina kind of reach any of your own conclusions? Like kind of what's the, I guess the narrative arc and kind of the ending, I, not to spoil everything, obviously, but were there any just kind of like conclusions that you guys reached based on the conversations that you had? Yeah, I mean, I always say like that, you know, we all aware of therapy and, and intervention and everything else. I mean, I've done therapy and I'll, yeah, I just talked about that a little bit. And and when you talk, when you, I always think like, hey, you know, hockey needs therapy or some type of intervention. And when you do that, you do have to discuss, you know, like um, you have to unpack some things and you know, discuss how they got to where they're at, or what we're doing now and, and everything else. Just think about what happened with Akim Alou. Like it was, mm. that was something that was, you know, he, he compressed that for a very long time and they having to come out in, in the way it did. And people started to listen and he listened to when he started talking about it, he felt like he had nowhere, you know, to go to. So he had to, you know, let's basically hold that in. And that's something that's, you know, it's happened to me over time, but um, I'm going to answer your question in the best, in the best way I can. But yeah, we did some of the folks we did speak to did come up with uh, solutions and, and it's pretty much up to, I don't want to put the onus on certain folks, but it's like, Hey, you know, you, you know, these people are telling you what's going on and it isn't like mm-hmm. you don't know you, you made a conscious adult decision, you know, not to know. Right. And, <clears throat> and, you know, I think about, you know, my own daughter playing and I remember when I was called, you know, at the N word by a teammate in high school, 
And I didn't tell anyone, you know, like I held that in because I, even at, at the 14, 15 year old, you kind of already know, like, who do I, do I go to a coach who's probably a drinking buddy with this guy's uh, dad or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, or whatever. And for me, I think about my own, like I said, I think about my own kid. What's he playing this? It's probably an inevitability. It's fucked up to say it's going to be an inevitability where, you know, somebody's going to say something on her based on her appearance. And I want it to be a situation where, hey, you know, something happens. She can come to me. She can go to a coach. If the coach don't handle it, we're going to, you know, if you got to handle it on the ice, I mean, good. And if we're I'm, I'll, dad will handle it in the stands or somewhere else. So, so, so that definitely, um, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, it's we, a lot of the folks we've spoken to have, uh, you know, given their uh, thoughts and and say like, hey, this is this is happening, and you need to listen. And yeah. we've seen hockey just be slow to to everything. It shouldn't have taken, you know, George Floyd and yeah. and Taylor Sagan and Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane putting out better statements than their teams. Oh God. <laughs> I, I did. I did want to ask you about that specifically. I had that note in my uh, kind of notes here about the interview, uh, the Derek Chauvin murder trial, the NHL statement to that was some of the most mealy mouth nonsense I had ever seen in my life. And it was really frustrating to see that. And then when you couple that with uh, some of the stuff that went on with the hockey diversity Alliance that the league was talking this big game about working with, and then they inevitably broke away from the NHL because the NHL basically didn't want to do anything concrete. It just seems to me that the solutions are being offered to the NHL and to all these junior organizations. And there just seems to be a lack of willpower or willingness to kind of get into some uncomfortable areas and to actually do the hard work necessary to address these things. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, it is. You just think about it. Like when did the NHL first start doing all this diversity stuff? Like 1995. And they were gotten their act together then. They wouldn't, there wouldn't be a hockey diversity alliance. Yeah. And it all kind of goes back to uh, one of the questions you know, Jay asked earlier about the coppers we cover. And we do talk about media's role in how these players are viewed and what we say to them. And I remember uh, in the book, we do talk about one person from the um, Hawks beat who I remember like on July 4th, uh, Colin Kaepernick had tweeted about how, you know, about July 4th and y'all black people were still slaves back then. So this ain't really a thing. And the other person basically wrote back like, it's, hey, you don't like America, leave, you know? And I honestly thought about naming that person and I was just like, well, if it happens that way, it's only going to go to that person. Not, we're talking about an entire system, not this one person. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, well, the one person, you know, who you go to for hockey information, you know, had the thoughts and feelings. And then the couple with, you know, like how this stuff is kind of going on in the league. And for a long time, just talking to different players and they were like, you know, I don't think, uh, a players alliance type of thing is going to happen. This was pre COVID and pre, you know, um, everything that happened last summer. So yeah, we do that. Obviously get into those areas where it's like, it's like a United front to like look the other way, you know, and, and, you know, you don't want to, you know, these folks don't want to see it, but it's like, when it's like people, I I just be a part of conversation sometimes when people like, yeah, diversity is great. This is awesome. And then you explain to them, 
you know, some of the uh, nuances of that, you can literally feel the air suck out the room. It's like the conversation gets like way too heavy. Oh, you mean there's work involved, not just words? Yeah, like it's more than more than retweets and, yeah. and hashtags and everything else. Like it's, I'm not asking these folks, we're not, and none, none of these folks are asking, you know, hockey to fix every problem or anything like that. But it's like, well, why does this sport have these specific, you know, problems it's just i mean there's nobody at at bulls games yelling badman badman all over again to to billy Donovan or laurie marketing mm-hmm. you know like it's like we had that thing with Devonte smith's pelly at the united center and you, everyone widely known in hockey culture knows what was going on there mm-hmm. you know and and why you yell basketball only specifically to a black player, you you know what you're doing and what you're really trying to say, yeah. you know. And uh, <clears throat> so, I think um, we just we're for this book, man. We're just James. We're just trying to kickstart a, a long overdue conversation. I'm not getting rich off of this. I mean, HBO or Netflix comes my way and they want to do something, that'll be <laughs> awesome for me. But yeah, you no. Know, but we're kickstarting a uncomfortable, you know, conversation, and it's. They folks out there have been given multiple chances yeah. to do right by folks. And, and like, you know, it's something where it's like, well, if you are involved people in the game, like we saw the other day about what, what Wayne Simmons said about, you know, um, about the team barber, like, you know, I, I mean, he ain't going to super cuts, <laughs> you, know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and, yeah. and why couldn't someone up there, I don't know, speak to the Raptors or speak to anyone that's like, Hey, like we need to get a barber here. Like for, we got a, a player, you know, who has a different type of hairstyle than the rest yeah. of the guys. So perhaps we can ask somebody on standby, you know, just in case, but there's always folks telling them. And it's like, weird. It's this thing where it's like, you can just feel like that the tone of how things are said. And it kind of makes people, you know, like retreat, retreat or whatever, but there's something, you know, has got to be done. And maybe this book is to callous where people actually see it and, and see these things and and be like, oh, shit. Like, you know, like, it's, I don't want just hockey fans to read it. I, do. I would love someone who, you know, who probably, you know, see this uh, podcast and see this episode and turn up their nose or turn it off later on down the line and pick up the book or or reach out to one of us on what they can do. So it's, we're not trying to like middle finger everybody, but you know, it's like, you know, we we're having a conversation, a tough conversation. And sometimes you, you gotta have these conversations. You're staying, you're staying a great man. A conversation without ultimate action is only going to go so far. And I do hope that this book spurs not only a lot of conversation, but a lot of action too. So thank you for bringing that up, man. That is really important to remember in all of this. Absolutely. The book is called game misconduct hockey's toxic culture and how to fix it. It is out October 12th, 2021 via Triumph Books, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon.com. Evan F. Moore, thank you so much for joining us on the Madhouse Chicago. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, Dr. Squatch, and by the Sins in Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. 
For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.